Good morning and welcome again. We are very grateful for your presence. If you are visiting, as always, we want to encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We are very thankful that you have chosen to honor us with your presence today. It is a beautiful fall day, and we are glad to have the opportunity to be together to meditate on spiritual things, to worship God in spirit and in truth. I do want to mention that we need to remember our young people as many of them are away for the weekend. They're supposed to be coming back this afternoon. We pray that they'll have a safe return and that their time near Henderson, Tennessee has been profitable and we look forward to seeing them tonight. It may be that as a parent, you're not looking forward to seeing them, but we're looking forward to having them back. We're gonna be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses nine through 11 in our study this morning. I want to begin by asking the question, who is the hardest person to forgive? It might be the case that you would tell me that someone has wronged you in the past and that you have difficulty finding a place in your heart to forgive them. And I understand that. Sometimes it's difficult to, for, to forgive those who have trespassed against us. It might be the case that you would say that individuals who are caught up in a life of sin, for example, people that are mired in fornication, idolatry, adultery, those who steal, that it's hard to forgive those people. I want to suggest today that in many respects, from my vantage point, when we ask the question, who is the hardest person to forgive, the answer is yourself. Sometimes the most difficult thing is to learn to forgive yourself. And so I want us to think for a moment or two about this theme of learning to forgive ourselves. I want us to first of all note as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 11 the people who need the gospel and you might ask the question who really needs the gospel? Well I guess if I were going to give just a one word answer I would say sinners need the gospel. Every person who is outside the realm of spiritual safety is said to be living in sin. And we know that sin is a problem that is characteristic of people. You and I, we are members of the human family. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in Romans 3, verse 23. Paul would tell us in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, that there is none righteous, no, not one. And so when we live in this world, we make choices, and sometimes we make poor choices. Sometimes the choices we make are a violation of the law of God, and thus we sin, we transgress his law. And John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, that sin is the transgression of the law. Now, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and as we talk about those who need the gospel, that is the people, are the ones who actually need the gospel. I want you to consider, first of all, the condemnation of sin. And here's what you and I need to understand. 
that God views sin differently in many respects than members of the human family view sin. God abhors sin. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, here's what the apostle Paul said. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, let's just pause there for a moment. If you drop down to the latter part of verse 10, Paul again re-emphasizes this fact that those who engage in a life of sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the question. Did Paul know what he was talking about? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, Paul would say, if any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. What Paul was saying came directly from God. Paul understood that God is the one who sets the standard. And God here is simply saying that those who choose to live a life foreign to his will will not inherit the kingdom of God. And thus, Sin ultimately brings condemnation. Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. In Romans 8, verse 1, Paul would say that those who are in Christ, they escape condemnation. The inference being that those who are outside of Christ, they are living under condemnation. But now I want you to consider with me in the second place the conduct of of those who choose to live in sin. Now, in verses nine and 10, Paul catalogs some of the sins that were characteristic of the people who lived in Corinth. And Corinth, if you go back and you read and you study about that city, you'll find that these people were what we would say knee deep in sin. Their lives were marred by sin and unrighteousness. They were living in the vileness of sin. And so listen to what Paul said, and this is by no means exhaustive when we talk about sin, but Paul is simply saying, okay, here are some of the things that were characteristic of the conduct of those who lived in Corinth. And so he writes, do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So here were people that were living in the muck and mire of sin. Their lives were far from living a pure and chaste and holy life. And yet, these were the very people that needed the gospel. Again, we talk about who needs the gospel. The gospel is intended to change the hearts and lives of people. When, when the apostle Paul went to the city of Corinth, he went there preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 18, verse 10, that Jesus, or rather that the apostle Paul spent some 18 months in that city preaching and teaching the word of God. Why do you think Paul spent 18 months among the Corinthians? Because they needed to hear the word of God, didn't they? He would say, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. 
and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Paul understood that here were people that needed above all the gospel. Now look at our society today. There are a lot of needs by people in our society. And some of, some of the social programs that, that our government has enacted are intended to address some of the social ills and problems of our society. And there are a lot of problems that men and women all across our country have. But listen, the greatest problem that people have is sin. And what they need is the great physician. They need Jesus Christ in their lives. They need somebody that loves them enough to tell them, look, Christ died for your sins. Here were people that were steeped in unrighteousness. Now, there are a lot of people that would have written these people off. And sometimes in our, in our world today, we see individuals who are marred by a life of fornication. Maybe they're living in, in idolatry. Maybe, maybe they are committing adultery. Maybe they are living in homosexuality. Maybe they have a problem with stealing. Maybe they have a problem with alcohol. What is it they need? They need the gospel. Are they beyond the scope of help? Absolutely not. The gospel was intended to change the lives of people. The gospel is for sick people. The church is for sick people. The church is like a hospital. Sometimes people talk about the church and, and they will typically use the crutch of hypocrisy to rail against the church. They'll say, you know what, I'd be a member of the church, but there are just too many hypocrites in the church. Listen, the church may have hypocrites. I'm sure it does. But the fact of the matter is the church is like a hospital and hospitals are for sick people. Well, the church is for people who are sick. Sick with what? Sick with sin. And so what we have to do is reach out, teach, preach the gospel of Christ, and in so doing, change the hearts and lives of people. Now, having said that, I want you to think with me in the second place about the provisions in the gospel. And again, we talk about the provisions of the gospel. What are the provisions of the gospel? If I were going to just answer that in one word, I'd say salvation. The whole thrust of Scripture is redemption, salvation, reconciliation. God is about reconciling, being reconciled to us. God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I might be reconciled back to him. Sin separated us from God. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve transgressed. They violated the law of God. As a result of that, physical death became a reality. Spiritual death became a reality. And so God set forth the promised seed, Genesis 3.15, and from that time forward, that plan of redemption began unfolding. So having said all that, what about the power of the gospel? Well, let's go back and look at Acts chapter 18. I said a moment ago that the apostle Paul spent one year and six months in the city of Corinth. And while in that city, you know what he did? He preached the gospel to those people. What kind of results did the apostle Paul have on Corinthian soil? Well, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. What is the thrust of the gospel? Is it a powerful message? Absolutely. Why? Because here were people that were living in sin. They heard the gospel. What does the Bible say? Faith comes by what? 
By hearing, hearing. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, verse 17. We are instructed to walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Here were people that heard the gospel and came to the conclusion that what Paul said was true. They came to a saving faith. So Paul said they heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and then what? Well, Paul said that he preached Christ among these people, and in their reception of Christ, Luke tells us they were baptized. So, having said that, we talk about the power of the gospel. Look at verse 11. And I want you to look at verse 11 and keep in mind what Paul has just said. I want to go back and read it again for emphasis' sake. Paul said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to him. And such were some of you, past tense. Therein lies the power of the gospel. Now you might ask the question, in what way? Well, here were people that had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ. They heard it with their own ears. They got to hear firsthand about Jesus who died for their sins. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse, verses 1 through 4, would sum up the gospel as the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They heard that message. And so Paul is saying, look, I preached the gospel to these people. They were steeped in a life of sin. And so in verse 11, he simply underscores the power of God's holy word. And such were some of you. What happened? They changed. In other words, they repented. They said, look, we've had enough of a life of sin. We're willing to get out of this kind of, of lifestyle. So, having said that, let's note what, what occurred. First of all, there was forgiveness. Paul said, and such were some of you, but you were washed. The reference there is to immersion, baptism. Again, if you go back and look at Acts chapter 18, verse 8, many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. Why were they baptized? Well, Paul here uses the figure of them being washed. In Acts 22, verse 16, Paul, in recounting his conversion to Christ, said that Ananias asked him in the long ago, and now why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So, with regard to their forgiveness, we talk about the fact that God remits. He removes sins. God forgives. You and I today, we stand in the presence of a gracious God who will abundantly pardon every sin. Not just some sins, but every sin. On Pentecost Day, there were a lot of people present in the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that the apostle Peter, the apostles, they preached the resurrected Christ to those people. And Luke tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, that some 3,000 souls were baptized into Christ. Why were they baptized? So that they might enjoy the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. That is forgiveness. Did they believe in Jesus? Absolutely. 
They knew who Jesus was. Were they instructed to repent of their sins? You better know they were because Peter said, after having been asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? They'd been cut to the heart by the message they had heard. He said, repent and be baptized. So forgiveness is a reality. God will remove, he will remit our sins. But there's a second aspect that I want you to consider with me. Not only does God forgive, God forgets. In other words, he doesn't remember our sins. Now in Hebrews chapter eight, verse 12, there's a passage of scripture. If you don't have it underlined, you need to underline it in your Bible. The writer there said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now I wanna, I wanna just pause there for a minute. Let me ask this question. Have you been forgiven by Almighty God? In other words, have you obeyed the gospel? Have you done what the Bible says to do to become a New Testament Christian? If God has forgiven you based on the stipulation set forth in Scripture, if you've complied with, with the commands given in Scripture, and God has forgiven you, then here's my question. Why do you find it hard to forgive yourself? And then a second question. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, God said, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now, God is omniscient. He knows all things. What God is saying here is this. When you enjoy forgiveness based on the blood of Jesus... I'm not going to hold what you have done in the past against you. I'm not going to keep dredging it up. I'm not going to keep bringing it out of the closet and reminding you of what you have done in the past. Now, it may be the case that you've had a conflict in days gone by with somebody, maybe a friend, a co-worker, a family member, whomever. And during the course of, of the conflict, you've finally resolve to, to put your differences behind you. And so sometimes people in, in that situation will say, let's just let bygones be bygones. Let's put it behind us and, and go forward. And then six months later, what happens? Well, you remember what you did back at such, such and such a date. You remember what you said. You remember what you did. Well, you see, they, they said let bygones be bygones, but what, what happened was they, they, they didn't quite live up to what they said they would do. Well, that's not how God operates. When God forgives, God forgets. Now, here's the point, and, and I asked the question a moment ago. Who is the hardest person to forgive? Sometimes the hardest person person to forgive is yourself. Listen, when you have been knee deep in a life of sin, when your life has been far from what it ought to be and you obey the gospel, I understand the weight of guilt and the shame associated with living in sin. I understand that. I think about David in the long ago. David was a man after God's own heart. And here's what David said 
Remember not the sins of my youth. I think about that verse a lot in my life. There are a lot of things that I did as a young person I'm not proud of. There are a lot of places that I went as a young person I'm not proud of. But you see, the fact of the matter is I've been forgiven in Christ. When God says he forgives, he forgives. It's behind you. It is in the past. Not only does God forgive, God forgets. It is as if it never happened. Now, if God can forgive us, why can we not forgive ourselves? Why do we keep beating ourselves up over past mistakes? Why do we continue to live as if the blood of Christ has not made a difference in our lives? Now, am I saying that once we become a child of God, we're going to be sinlessly perfect? Absolutely not. John tells us that the ideal is to live above sin. In 1 John chapter 2, he said, My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. That's the ideal. But he goes on to say, If any man sins, let him know that he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we sin, what do we do? We acknowledge it. We repent and we move on. John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, you and I, as members of the body of Christ, once we've been baptized into Christ, we enjoy the blood of Christ constantly at work every day. John said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now let me ask this question, do you believe that? Do you believe the blood of Christ is at work in your life? If so, live like it. Bask in the presence of knowing that God has forgiven you. God not only forgives, but God forgets. So, there is liberation from sin or forgiveness. Secondly, there is sanctification. The idea, here, the idea here is that we have been set apart from the world unto God. Now, look at, look at the church at Corinth. Were the Corinthians perfect people? Not at all. If you look at the, if you look at the people in Corinth, you'll see that the church was comprised with people that had problems. With what, you might ask? With sin? Let me show you the background of the people that comprised the church at Corinth. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous people, drunkards, revilers. Those were the kind of people that made up the church at Corinth. Were they continuing to live like that? Absolutely not, because again, Paul said, and such were, W-E-R-E, -E, were some of you. Now, I said a moment ago that those who were comprised, those who comprised the church at Corinth, they had been sanctified. That is, they had been set apart from sin unto God. Now, you want to talk about self-esteem. 
The straightest line to self-esteem is the throne of God. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, look at the words he used to describe these people. He wrote to the church of God at Corinth, those who had been sanctified in Christ Jesus, listen to him, and called to be saints. Now in our world today, when we think about somebody who has been living in fornication or adultery or idolatry or who has been a thief or whatever, we don't typically call them a saint, do we? Even if we know they've changed their lives, if they've been living like that and they've transformed their life, we typically don't say, well, that person's a saint. We don't use that terminology. But Paul here is saying to these people who had obeyed the gospel, look, you are saints of the Most High God. In verse 9 he said they've been called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. God had called them into that kind of fellowship. Now in verse 19 of chapter 6 he would say, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Here were people that had been bought by the blood of Christ. They belonged to the Lord. So they enjoyed liberation, they enjoyed sanctification, and then they enjoyed justification. Listen to what he says. You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The word justification is a forensic term. And it carries with the idea, it carries with it the idea of an acquittal. Have we been guilty of sin in the past? How would you answer that? The answer would be yes. Were the Corinthians guilty of sin? Yes. They were guilty. There was no, there was no other way to say it. They were guilty of sin. But based on their relationship to Almighty God, based on the fact that Jesus died and purchased them with his blood, God is saying, you are acquitted. You can stand before me just. Now, I want to close by asking this question. Have you found it hard in your life to forgive yourself? You may be here today. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. And you've been carrying around the weight of past sin. And what the Bible says is, look, if you've been forgiven... You've been forgiven. Not only has God forgiven you, God has forgotten it. In other words, he's not going to bring it up, not going to hold it against you anymore. Here's the real question. Do we believe what God says? The Bible tells us it is impossible for God to lie. When God says he'll forgive you and he will forget the past, he means it. You don't have to question it. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go to bed tonight wondering about what you did in the past. Look, if God has forgiven you, it's over with. So, the bottom line is this. The gospel is for all. Maybe you're here today and you, you've never obeyed the gospel. Why not do that today? There is guilt, there is shame, and there is fear associated with a life of sin. But in Christ, there is pardon and there is peace. If you're here and you've never obeyed the gospel, I encourage you, I would beg you today, do what they did on Pentecost Day when Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. 
Do not delay, do it today. If you're unfaithful to his cause, then the plea to you would be come home. James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. We have the assurance that God will abundantly pardon. Would you come as we stand and sing?